up everyone, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers, a Reap Big War Games podcast, and this episode 22 of our ongoing mission to bring big war games back into the limelight. And today, my guest is Simon Miller, uh, of To The Strongest fame, and uh, we'll be chatting with Simon about his huge collection of figures, his, uh, his rule sets, his philosophy on rules, and all the usual features that you're familiar with. The quiz, Wargames Room 101, and the Venn diagram of wargaming, the, the whole shebang. We're in the build-up period for the results for the Little uh, Little Wars TV Caesar Awards, in which uh, Yorkshire Gamer was nominated for the best podcast. Uh, so I've got my fingers and toes crossed for the results uh, of that at the end of the month. And we should know before the uh, next episode is released. Um, so uh, good luck to everyone who's involved uh, for any of the categories. And um, let's see who wins on the evening. There's still work to do in relation to my uh, missionary uh, to make big games uh, more popular and uh, more mainstream, dare we say. Uh, I had listened to a lot of podcasts and there was, I'm not going to name names, but there was one UK podcast that did one on small scale gaming that just went through all the old uh, cliches of, oh, you can't do that in 28mm and, oh, it's all too big. And yeah, for some people it is, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there who do big games, who enjoy big games, who aspire to big games. And um, yeah, we're out there and we like it big and we shout it loud in all the supermarkets and shopping centres throughout Europe. Um, and then after a short space of time in the police cells, uh, we're back out again shouting, we like it big again. Personally, it's been very busy at work uh, at the moment and uh, I've slacked off quite a bit with the painting. Um, I'm well behind on my uh, total uh, for the Analog Hobbies uh, paint challenge, Um, but uh, it's been great to see everyone's entries all the way through that. And uh, it's coming to an end on the 21st of uh, this month and uh, we'll be thinking about what we're going to do next year very soon. So, uh, just a couple of words uh, about the interview before we begin. And um, unfortunately, uh, Simon uh, shares a room uh, with his wife of the internet connection. And uh, she had a work meeting to do. And uh, we had to kind of hurry up a little bit towards the end of the interview, which was a little bit of a shame because uh, we were having a great chat. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy this interview. Um, but uh, I'll get Simon back on one of the catch up episodes in the future. And. Uh, We'll cover the bit that we don't quite get to uh, his wavy basis. Um, and hopefully his Renaissance rules will be out by then as well and we can have a chat about that. Um, in the final section, um, I had to re-record a couple of my questions uh, because I had some uh, tech issues with my microphone again. Um, and uh, one final point in relation to the interview. At the start, when we're talking about uh, games, we talk about Flames of War and that's that's our mistake and I do apologise we were actually talking about World in Flames which is a massive World War 2 board game and the subsequent prequel to that Days of Decision uh, which it took us about 20 minutes to remember what it was called but there we go Uh, so we've not suddenly gone Flames of War Um, it was a genuine mistake on our part so without further ado let's do interview
Welcome to the interview section of episode 22 of the Yorkshire Gamer podcast and today we've got another treat for you. We've talked to another big gamer and a rule writer. In fact, when we met up at Partizan last year, he was involved in a huge game involving some of the biggest figures we've ever seen. But more of that later on. My guest is the king of the grid. He loves a straight line on his gaming cloth, but he prefers a wavy line on his bases. He's loved by the people who make the playing cards, but he's hated equally by those who make tape measures. In fact, my guest has made turning an ace over cool again. Not since Bruce Forsyth did play your cards right, and we had so much fun with a deck of 52. So, if you want to go to your strongest, or battle it out between the rightful king and those upstarts in Parliament, he's your man. He's big. He's red. And it says here that he's a bat. Let's welcome Simon Miller to the Big War Games podcast. Hello, Simon. Hello. Very nice to be here. <laughs> Lovely. Very nice. Well, what an intro. Marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to get famous for my intros. I do like it. No, I no, like no. It. I like it. Very, I do very like good. a good intro. Um, very, so very good. We, we met briefly, didn't we, mate, at uh, Partisan, and we had a chat. Yeah, we did. And um, today um, you're going to get the full Yorkshire Gamer treatment, the full uh, the full four parts, as we like to say. Uh, and the, fir- the first thing that we do before you get comfortable is um, we like to uh, put people on the, a little bit of pressure and get them to do a four minute summary of their wargaming history. So from previous experience, you'll either do it in thirty seconds, no problems, or you'll keep rambling for about six or seven and i'll have to pull you off <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you won't hopefully you won't go that far I'm more likely to near the 30 second end of the uh the, the stick i expect excellent well um i've got a little timer here and um if, as we get towards the four minutes the uh the music from countdown will come on oh excellent get, and then if you go too far di Re, di regan from the sweeney will tell you to shut it so uh, there's lots of warnings <laughs> coming up <laughs> so in, you. in, in your own time simon four minutes just a summary of your war game in history mate okay well i kind of always war gamed uh, my mum tells a story about when I was in my pram as a very small child, uh, she took me past a toy shop and I, I waved at the toy shop window at a couple of plastic um, soldiers that were in the toy shop window who were 54 mil guardsmen, or no, 60 mil, about 60 mil tall, Hong Kong made finest red guardsmen. And she bought them for me and I clutched them in my hands and took them home. And they were Fred and Charlie and they were the the genesis of my uh, my collections. Um, and I went on from there, I guess. I, I, I used to play a lot with um, Airfix. I'm sure everybody had Airfix. Uh, particularly loved the ancient Britons and the, the, the Romans. Um, anything really from, from Airfix. Uh, but I also used to play a lot with um, Lego bricks. So I could do big battles. So I'd have uh, the, the eight stud bricks would be b- battalions. And, you know, I could fight Waterloo or whatever. Uh, Thermopylae, I remember doing as a a child um, with uh, uh, blankets draped over books and so forth. Um, then as I got into, um, as my, my age increased and I had a little bit more spending money, I, I'm sure like many others, I went into the mini figs and um, um, some of the early uh, lead figures that were only really just Hinchliffe at the time were coming out, um, got those um, and really played 
stuff at home until I went to uni. And when I went to uni, I kind of got distracted by Dungeons and Dragons, which I had an absolute passion <laughs> for. Squandered, squandered my uh, three or four years, four or five years, squandered the right word of my life playing Dungeons and Dragons and RuneQuest with my friends there, which are very happy experiences. The university wasn't as a whole that successful for me, but I never got a degree. But I did have four or five years of quality gaming. That's uh, nice. Best result. After that, I found my way to um, Central London War Games Club and played lots of different things, WRG rules, um, uh, mostly with uh, 15 mil figures, um, uh, Romans and so forth. I had a few armies, bowled one off a friend, used to play quite a bit there. Um, uh, and other things as well, uh, 40k, I remember playing 40k when it first came out, that was a, that was a laugh for a while. Um, still got my collection from that. Uh, and uh, did we did Vietnam and colonial wars and all sorts of really really enjoyable things. Something different every week. Oh, one three hundredth uh, Western Desert micro tanks. Love that still. Um, and I played there for a while. And then as you get a bit older and you've got the kids, then I had to start playing from home. And um, um, used to play a lot of board games for a while. World in Flames, Commanding Colors, Ancient got me back into wargaming indirectly. Because once I enjoyed playing that with the wooden blocks, I started playing it again with figures. Um, and that led me to do a big Zama game at the Society of Ancients, uh, one of their battle days, um, that made me some good friends. Uh, uh, people like Doug Page Croft, who I'm still in touch with. Lots of people got involved in that. And we started getting these really big war games together. After a while, I got a bit, little bit bored with Command and Colours Ancients, decided to write my own rules. Um, and then... They turned out to be, I wrote them partly to do big battles at shows and they turned out to be quite successful and sort of gathered people around me and then people started asking if I could publish the rules so um, I published them as a um, on a sheet of A4 originally. Oh, I can hear the clock in the background. Pressure, pressure. Um, and um, eventually I published my own to the strongest ancient rules. Um, a little later I got together with Andrew Brentnell and we wrote for King and Parliament for the for the English Civil War set. Um, and now I'm looking at the 1670s, the 1680s and beyond. And I think that is my four minutes. Perfect. <laughs> That's my timer going off there. Oh, that was perfect, mate. That was perfect. I was cheating. <laughs> oh, dear. Very good. Very are. good. I'm impressed with that. I'm impressed with that. <laughs> I would have liked to have heard the Sweeney, actually, anyhow. But, uh, <laughs> you can use that on me later if I blather too much. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll save him for a, I'll get me Sweeney soundboard out and uh, play some play some clips. So, what was the what got you into history then? What what was the the thing? That... Oh, I don't know. I mean, what does get you into history? Uh, I remember as a child, I had um, I had such mighty research tomes as the Ladybird book on Alexander the Great. Yeah. Um, essential reading. Essential reading. Um, you know, and that was probably quite you know. I've, I'm sure sets of miniatures have been based on far less than that. Uh, um, the, uh, uh, just anything, really. Uh, encyclopedias. I liked, um, when I was a kid, I really liked uh, fiction. Um, my mum, one of the things my mum did was take me an awful lot to the local library and I kind of devoured all of the historical fiction um, in the library. Many, many very unsuitable books, I'm sure, at the time. Um like G.A. Henty, um, uh, Ryder Haggard, anything by Ryder Haggard, loved, 
yeah. those uh, sci-fi books. But yeah, got me just always. I don't know. I, I sometimes think people are just born with a passion for, yeah. for history, yeah. and I, 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 I have I, got that. Yeah, I remember a, a magazine I used to get as a child called Look and Learn, and they always oh, yeah. used, they always yeah. used to have like. A, I remember distinctly like a Roman cartoon that was on the back of it one and it had the Colosseum and loads of soldiers and stuff. And yeah, and I, I was just drawn into it and drawn into the overall pageantry of the whole thing. Yeah. It's uh, the spectacle, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's the history and there's the spectacle and there is, I think amongst us, those of us that like to do a really big battle, yeah. it is, it is about getting that sense of spectacle, spectacle. You know, huge scale, cast of thousands. Yeah. Where did Especially you where, did, where did you end up at university then? I went to Imperial College. Uh, Imperial in College London. London. Yes. You, live, yes. you live in London as well, don't you? So I live you in are. London, and uh, yeah, about the only thing I took away from Imperial College was um, I met my wife, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, who wasn't from Imperial College, but um, yeah. I, I, I met her uh, met her near near the uni, and that's about the only thing I took away uh, with me from the whole five-year experience of not getting a degree oh good effort good effort i'm impressed <laughs> well, as, as we like to say on this podcast we're very regionally yorkshire based so uh, yeah, i'm drinking yorkshire are... tea i should say oh here. good man, we are. Good man. Well, you're, you're gonna get a point on the quiz uh, then because that comes excellent um but we, we we call anything um south of sheffield that's what we say uh, yeah, anything south of Sheffield is uh, yeah. so, uh, yeah. I didn't know whether you might have ventured up north on your, for your university no not really I, I haven't been uh, I, I, I don't go up north a great deal I just Newark a lot for the for the yeah, shows for up shows, there I, yeah. I don't think I've missed a, a Newark for about a decade now must be it, 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 Newark seems to be the um, the northern frontier of most wargaming it's as, it's as far as henry hyde could get it's yeah. as far a blessing the lard is made it up to steel uh lard this time so oh. uh, it's uh we're slowly getting people to come and see us up here in the in the wilderness in the northern tribes well it's quite uh, it's quite good isn't it because because of its location you can get the scots um coming down as yeah, well it, it's a perfect um, location um it? so it, it's one of those few places where you can actually see everyone that everyone that's into historical wargaming under one roof. You, um, you mentioned you mentioned in your introduction board games. Um, what's, uh, is that something you still do? Um, it, it's kind of on, on the periphery, I think, of um, yeah. figure gamers. Um, but it, I think it's a lot more popular than figure games um, in general. Well, I have a, one of my local friends, Ian, um, ha, has always been very into board games. Um, but he's much more into them than, than am I, really. Uh, um and we have at times played uh, a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of the um, the uh, board games, but not for not for like fifteen years now, I guess. Mm. Um, I think the last big um, outburst was the Command and Colors, where we used to play that, you know, two or three yeah. games a week for for quite a while. Um, we did some Command and Colors Napoleonics. I mean, some people say that to the strongest is a is a board game. I, I think officially on Board yeah. Games Geek. It is described as a board game, but I can't say I really think of it uh, that way. Um, for me, it's a, just a vehicle for moving large numbers of figures around. Interesting. I mean, you mentioned Flames of War. That was uh, that was one of the games that we played when we were at university as well. Um, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, was that the whole shebang? Because there was one. 
um, yeah. that was set just before World War Two. I can't remember. Yes, yes, now. you're absolutely like a, right. Like a diplomatic game where you. It was. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. What was that called? Um, <laughs> you could play the pre-war, and it, in yeah. theory, that would lead you into playing Flames of War. And yeah. it was a brilliant, brilliant game, Flames of War, but um, it became a little bit overloaded with um, sort of chrome over the years. Do you remember yeah. Planes of War, Tanks of War? Yeah. Um, um, it, it, it became quite, it came a little bit sort of top heavy. And yeah. when you played it with the pre-war bit, yeah. it, it did change enough things that, you wouldn't necessarily get a good balanced game out of it when it actually got to the war. But anyhow, yeah. one, of, one or the other has always wanted to give up in about 1940. You know, it, it was sometimes it was pretty clear, you know, that one side or the other, <laughs> one side or the other had had, uh, had lost. I remember one year when Russia tried to uh, try, tried a surprise invasion on Germany, and that was that was mm. a short game. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if we ever played it to the end. No, I don't think I don't think we ever managed it either. I think once you got that huge, there was another, there was a Napoleonic one. Uh, it's just behind me somewhere. Yeah, um, Empires at Arms, I think it was called. Yeah. Uh, yes, empires, empires, arms, just behind me. It was exactly the same. On we, the, yeah. the 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 you put the maps out, and the maps were about sixteen foot yeah. long, and you had all these tiny counters in, and then the cat would come in and just completely destroy. You were building up for an offensive in Russia and yeah. <laughs> before the winter got you. The cat, had the cat would get you. <laughs> off there. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, do you well, game at home, Simon, or not really? Um, uh, not really anymore. Um, I can't show you a picture at the moment, but mm-hmm. my dining room where I used to game yeah. um, is is part dining room, part warehouse now. Um, uh, all of the stock for that I sell for to the strongest yeah. uh, lives along one wall in there, and that doesn't really leave enough room for a six by four table. Um, I um, I have been playing the odd game, but not for a long time with my, my local friend Ian. I'm planning to do some um, to get some gaming going again with him um, yeah. on a smaller more convenient uh, table using um, some wooden blocks I've made for playtesting the yeah. Renaissance version, which I'm, I'm still working on, need to finish. Um, so I thought we'd start off with an initial round of playtesting for that. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll do that fairly soon. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I don't really. So my games, the games I get to play are few and far between. Shows, um, I'm often talking to people, so I can't always get to play yeah. The game. Sometimes I do. If we're running it twice in a day, maybe I'll join in the second game. I think yeah. at um, Partizan, I was um, uh, I was both engaging the punters, uh, umpiring, playing, <laughs> and supporting the player on my right who didn't know the rules. Yeah. Uh, whilst trying to chat to you, so yeah. it was. Uh, it was- <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was a bit thinly stretched that uh, that day. Um, I, I think um, I think that particular partisan show there was a lot of people who hadn't seen other gamers for a long time. Yeah, um, and I think um, I think I, I chatted to you on my second time round. I think the first time round, the, the the sort of the perimeter of the hall took me about two and a half hours. Yeah, uh, which a tortoise would have been proud of. It was uh, uh, very very slow, but we it was lovely. It was lovely to catch up and, and see and and see. Yeah. 
I'd be interested. To, I, I wasn't at Hammerhead. I'm, I'm wondering whether it's a little bit more normal feeling because it was odd at Partizan. It was slightly, slightly mm. post-apocalyptic Partizan, um, the last one. Yeah. There was, you know, the masks and people are obviously anxious. And, yeah. Um, and then, yeah. and then we we we, we had Fiasco, the, the lead show, and that was very similar. Yeah. Um, and then Salute, um, it just had a massive reduction in numbers. Uh, yeah. from previous years and and uh unfortunately i didn't make it to partisan but the york show was fairly well attended uh, that yeah. to february so uh, yeah. hopefully we're, we're all coming out of it hopefully it'll be a bit more normal this year <laughs> do you get yourself to a club still no um i i, I think of myself as nominally a sort of very a removed member of the central london war games club where yeah. I, I did used to play for about 10 years i'd have gone there almost every week um, until really, you know, once you start getting a couple of young kids, it's harder yeah. to get out. Um, then we had a, for, for a time, we had a little group of about half a dozen of us. Um, we called ourselves Muswell Hill Militia. Uh, <laughs> a name that probably would get you banned on Facebook. as a Yeah, dangerous, I was going to uh, say, you need to be careful with that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so we did that for, um, we did that for a uh, few years, in fact. Um, we started playing I used to be able to get like an eight or ten foot long by 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 six foot table, I guess, um, back in those days in my in my lounge. And people used to come around here and we'd uh, we'd game. That was that was a lot of fun. Mm. But gradually, people kind of drifted or moved away a little bit. And mm. uh, so, no, um, the uh, really my games just tend to be the ones the shows where we run the big games mm. um, and um, uh, tournaments. Um, we have. Um, Usually, in a usual year, I guess five or six for the strongest tournaments. Maybe there, are, maybe there are six, seven, eight. In fact, but I only get to maybe five or six, um, and uh, usually get to play four games at those. Um, yeah. which is good because you need to keep a keep abreast of the rules. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's surprising. Um, you know, people come to me as the font of all knowledge, but I'm I'm sometimes I can be quite rusty because I've not played for six months. Yeah. Um, but usually I can, it takes me about one tournament to get myself up to speed and at the next yeah. one I'm a reasonable, reasonable contender. I quite enjoy the tournaments. It's quite, they're quite, um, it's quite exciting to play against that time pressure. Yeah. Um, I'm not that competitive. I'm, I'm probably slightly more competitive than the average, but mm. it's quite, um, it, it, you know when when you've got to really focus and concentrate on what you're doing and pull that strategy out of the hat it, it's nice uh, to, to do it once in a while so um just just before we go on i that I've, the days of decision was the days of decision days yes decision. yeah 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 it was good it wasn't as good as wasn't as good as flames of war but it was good and it was an interesting concept yeah, we we I remember playing it a, a few times. Mm. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. It was very good, very good indeed. Um, you're known uh, mostly for your ancient stuff. Um, is that yeah. your is that your favourite historical period to game? Oh, gosh, um, well, that's a whole lot of periods, isn't it? Really? Um, yeah. I don't know. I think at the moment, I probably would say I'm more interested in the 17th century um which probably surprised a lot of people um, yeah. um not it doesn't mean i'm not interested in ancients it just means that i guess 
I started off by writing the ancient rules and then during the process of writing the ancient rules, I didn't decide that I didn't want to alienate, <laughs> alienate most of my potential market by well, a good portion of my potential market by not including the medieval period. So we kind of bolted it on so that the rules would work up till about um, 1500 or so. And uh, um, I've got very funny, latterly, I, 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 I seem to be working through history in a sensible chronological order. That um, makes sense. <laughs> Uh, I found myself getting quite drawn into the medieval uh, yeah. period um, and the early Renaissance. Um, and golly, since then, I've just I've been absolutely mad. It's, it's very exciting discovering uh, the Renaissance and the later developments in tactics, uh, um, you know, up to and beyond the English Civil War. I, I, I just find it utterly fascinating. So at the moment, I've got, I guess if you look at what I've currently been painting and basing on, still basing up some ancient units um, that I had in the pipeline. Did a lot of work last year for a big projected salute game um, that obviously hasn't happened because there hasn't been a salute, but I did a lot of the modelling for that last year. So I guess about half of what I've done has been for ancients, but then um, the big projects I'm working on are a huge Swiss army, mm. um, uh, um, a Burgundian army, which I seem to be working on in parallel with David Imry, where I think we're we're hopefully we'll get a game on a table at some point. But he's got about half of a Burgundian army based exactly to the same style that I'm using, and I've got about half of a Burgundian army. So uh, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember I remember seeing some of, some of your pipe blocks quite a few years ago now on on yeah uh, some yeah. of the forums. Uh, it, I take it is it's a uh, it's a yep. slow slow burner, is it? Or is it just it has been. <laughs> um See, I, I, I'm not one of these people that like really will concentrate on one period. I've got I've always got about six or seven different things on the go, yeah. and I flit around between these. And I guess I probably based Burgundians first about two, three years ago, mm. um, and I did a pipe block, and then I got and I added another couple of blocks of pike um, last year. Um, not very nice uh, uh, guy uh, called Mats um, Elzinger helped me do the flags for um, the Liegeois uh, uh, sort of militia types. So yeah. we got those. Uh, we got those done, and I've, I've got all of the infantry really for, for a modest sized Burgundian army. Um, and um, I haven't done the cavalry yet, but I've got I don't know maybe eighty. 90 painted Burgundian cavalry that I haven't had time to base, uh, finish and base. Um, so, you know, I could put an army together pretty. Yeah, and and are, you a, are you a 28 mil kind of guy? Or yeah, I, almost exclusively. I, yeah. I have, um, I used to do 15 mil, but I gave away all my 15 mils to my, my, my local friend who does 15 mil. Um, and uh, I've got some very old now six mil uh, micro tanks up in the loft love them mm. um i have thought sometimes about I, I quite like would quite like to do 10 or 12 mil it's mm. just i i i like the 28s and i'm i'm into them and i've you know i've got loads of stuff if i had like two or three lifetimes i'd probably do the other scales as well <laughs> what's the, the same big, armies what's, yeah the, what, what's the big draw into 28s then what's the what do you particularly um, like about that scale well I guess the amount of detail there is in them. Um, and, you know, if you step back, 
you know, a couple of feet, you know, you've got, when you've got some of the bigger games on the table with, you know, 2,000, mm. 3,000 figures, it does look like a fairly convincing battle. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I like them. I, you know, I, I, I can see them to paint them. They're, you know, they're not too small. Um, but that isn't to say I don't not dislike the other scales. I, 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 I could imagine... You know, other scales are much more sensible, for instance. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I was doing English Civil War again now, if I was just starting English Civil War, maybe I'd look at the doing it all in the new Steel Fist ones, which is, I think, traditional yeah, 15 really, mil size. Really nice, really um, nice. Or my, my, like my chum, Andrew Bentnell, he's got all his um, English Civil War in sort of 12 to 15 mil figures. Um, um, I, You know, maybe that would be, that would be a sensible scale to go. I mean, yeah. you know... It, it's horses for courses, really. I mean, I can do, I can do a, a battle on a fifteen or twenty foot wide table in quite a few different periods mm. um, in twenty eight mil. You know, other people I know, like Andrew can Andrew Brentnell can do the same in with ten mil figures, and um, it looks more like if you're doing something like Marston Moore, um, it looks more like. Uh, the, the historical battle in the in the smaller scale. There's no doubt about it. I guess I just got the twenty sort of inertia from twenty eight mil. I carry on. Are you, are you, a, are you yeah? Are you a painter yourself? And do you do most yeah. of your own figures? Ooh, yes, and no. Um, so I'm a slow painter. I've been. I mean, like I know the last few nights I've been painting um, some extra cavalry, some extra horses, and I can produce about one horse a night uh, in in an evening's painting so i'm 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 not fast um but luckily i know i know a bunch of people who do paint and um uh particularly my one of my other local friends sean mctague he's uh he can produce figures at like five or five or ten times the rate that i can Mm. Um, um basically most of the figures uh are most of the figures I either buy fully painted um, or I buy them um, that are where they're about two thirds painted and I'll add highlights and ink, do okay, some final assembly idea. and whatever. Uh, I also, I very much like um, to buy part painted figures on eBay and finish them off. It mm. kind of, there's something nice about actually rescuing a, a partly painted figure. I love, I just love doing that. Um, making making something that that was bad, you know, good again. As long as you, yeah, it's it's at its best when you've had a good painter who's got about halfway and given up, as opposed to trying to recover a figure that's painted by someone that's really bad and you can't <laughs> pass out the town's ear. Yeah, but, uh, Robbie Robbie Roddis, who was on episode fourteen, yeah. he's uh, he's done that with English Civil War. He's um, he's kind of set out to rescue unwanted 15 mil or was it 28 mil i can't remember yeah uh figures from ebay and and get them painted up and bring them back to life again so uh, yeah i had a happy period of that before um for king and parliament came out yeah. where for about six months i was buying figures on e english civil war figures on ebay and figures really nicely painted figures were selling for nothing because no one was interested in the english civil war at all yeah and I made the mistake of publishing a set of rules. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get anything that's half decently painted. People want to pay a sensible price for it. Yeah. It's a real shame. 
That's a real shame. You need to finish your army before you publish your rules, mate. That's that, you've Yeah, I think that would have been the way to go. You've, you've learned a lesson there. That you've would have been the way to go. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, um, I've had the same things with some other scales, actually. I, I've been working on 1672 figures, and uh, you used to always – there'd be a unit of those come up every week on eBay. I, I, since I mentioned I was doing it, I haven't seen any. I look every day. <laughs> There's none there. There's none there. I think people oh, are holding you, on to them. You, you must be a trendsetter, then. You must be a trendsetter. Uh, yeah. So, um, one, no. of the, one, of the, one of the regular features on, on this show is uh, something um, I call the Venn diagram of wargaming. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and this is just a little bit of a fun thing to yeah. break down wargaming personalities into four sections and then just see how your particular uh, set fits together um, and the four that we've got are wargamer yeah. painter yeah collector yeah. and historian um so which, which of those i mean you might all meet in the middle but are any of those more prevalent than the others or how do you, wow. how, do you how do you feel about them i'm definitely um i'm definitely an obsessive collector i mean i'm you know verging on the edge of hoarder Really, I, I have got, um, you know, I find it very hard to resist a, a, a well painted war games figure, even if it's not my period and probably yeah. never will be my period. Uh, and I'm quite capable of accidentally picking up like four or five figures from a chum and then painting another 2,000 to match. Uh, yeah, that's good. So, <laughs> collector, collector, really big. Yeah. Historian, um, yeah, I am passionate about the history um um and i am i funny enough i am actually writing writing a or helping to write a book at the moment on on on, on a battle but i'm not really a i never had the historian training i after i really wanted to do history as a, a, a degree subject but i picked engineering instead which was a big mistake um <laughs> <laughs> well, hasn't served me well you're talking to a fellow engineer so I don't uh, know. well um, i haven't used my engineering as much as uh, as much as you might well uh, all that much but um the um history historian i would have liked painter i'm more a baser than a painter i mean i i finish figures off um, I, I'm, I'm quite good, but I mean, there are great painters out there, like uh, you know, my chum David Imry, uh, mm. uh, uh, just breathtaking what they can do with paint mm. and how quickly they can do it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, those are the, those are the painters. I, I'm he more does a collector. Some, some lovely stuff, David, doesn't he? And um, I saw his game at the partisan show that we were talking about earlier on mm, with his um yeah. with his chums yeah hey, that was a good looking game bodkins i think isn't it yeah superb Absolutely. Uh, that that just looked that just looked brilliant um um and wargamer well you know if you look at it in terms of the actual time i spend playing that probably is the last mm. of the uh, four because i spend much more time being a collector a historian um uh, or whatever than I actually do uh, gaming. I would like to game more, and maybe I'll be able to. Um, you know, we're coming out of this. Hopefully, we're coming out of this COVID thing, and we'll be able to um, to to get together and game a little bit more. And I, I would uh, enjoy doing that. 
Brilliant. Well, we're just coming to the end of the first section now. So uh, um, just before we do that, I, I always like to get people to just um, let me know where you are on social media so that people who listen to this can, can find you. So um, yes. what, what, what do you do and, and where are you? So um, I've got various blogs. Um, the Big Red Bat Cave um, is my main ancients blog hmm. um, and general blog where most most anything I post is on there. And I usually manage to post about twice, a, do a blog post about twice a week. Um, sometimes it depends really what I'm, what's churning off the production line. Um, then there's, um, I've got another blog called For King and Parliament, which is where I exclusively have the English Civil War stuff. Um, and I've got a, a, an obscure blog um, called My Very Own Spanish Ulcer, oh. which is where... <laughs> Which is where I where I hide my guilty uh, Napoleonic secrets. Um, uh, well, I have to say that I obviously I do a little bit of research on each of the people I'm going to talk to, and I didn't yeah. find that. So. Oh well, there you <laughs> it, is. it was a, it was a well well guarded uh, well guarded um, secret. Fortunately, um, fortunately, about fifteen hundred people end up listening to this, so uh, oh, you, you might get some really? warnings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's um i've been uh i have been you know with, i was saying uh, you one gets obsessed with collecting i i've been slowly collecting the uh imperial guard as time permits uh french yeah. mostly the french imperial guard um and i one of the things on my uh would like to do list um is um one big napoleonic battle and the one i've always fancied is uh montmirey where mm. The Imperial Guard fought the uh, the Russians, and is that one of the eighteen fourteen battles? Yes, in yeah, the winter with the snow Hanno, on the ground, that sort of time. Yeah, um, uh, and I think that would be a that would be a corking uh, corking mm. battle to do. So um, I, I've got most of the guard troops. I've got a lot of French line. Um, what I was waiting, I've been waiting for a long time for a plastic Russians in great coats to come out, and mm. I think someone's actually producing a. A line of those now i did see something a few months back um, okay yeah yeah i've um, seen them i've seen the crimean russian in great coats yes they're the, the in plastic yeah. but i've not seen any napoleonics off the top of me yeah no there is there is some um, oh gosh that plastic um one of the one of the plastic companies is talking is it, about doing it. Oh, well, is it Atlantic Warlord? War Games Atlantic. War Games yeah. Atlantic. So I'm going to see whether they what they look like when they come out because obviously you're going to need like 12, 15, 18 battalions of them, mm. and I, I I just want to do most of the Napoleonics in plastic for yeah. portability and ease and cheapness. Mm. Um, you know, I have visions of a spray can spraying the whole army with a spray <laughs> can uh, and just doing a little bit of highlighting. I'm sure that won't work out. I think um, that's one of the the great Napoleonic um, cheats for, that's been going on for years. We used to do it just before we did a big yeah. game. There'd be we'd all be painting stuff in great coats. Yeah, just to get it. We need twenty battalions for Saturday. Yeah, don't worry, great coats. Yeah, no piping for me tonight. <laughs> great coats, tatty great coats. Oh, that's what good. we need. And I also think it looked very characteristic of Russian army in, yeah. entirely it, in great coats. It does so, look very good. Um, so uh, that's my uh, Napoleonic blog. I think those are my three blogs. I've got um, there's a forum as well, the T- to the strongest forum that yeah. uh, quite a lot of people come come by and ask ask questions and expose my lack of knowledge of the rules. <laughs> um, uh, often there are people that are much better informed than me. 
Um, do you do anything like Twitter or Facebook or? Uh, Facebook, I do. Basically, I, I tend to what I tend to do is I I'll do a blog post, um, and then I'll because the blog post is a really good way of writing about something and then being able to find it again in the future, yeah. and then I put a link onto Facebook um, from there. So usually onto my um, I've got a to the strongest Facebook um, site. So anything that I anything that is in my blog will go onto the. Um, We'll go onto the Facebook site, um, and obviously I go around a lot of other people's. I look at other people's blogs. Yeah. Uh, I look at other people's Facebook posts. Um, um, yeah, uh, but those are the main things that I do. I've yeah. got a, and I've got my um, uh, big red bat shop where I sell the rules and so forth from um, in the UK. And for people who are um, particularly in Europe, I can't sell rules to Europe because of the VAT. I can't. Haven't got any oh, yeah, there's some new VAT, regulations, so. isn't there? Yeah. Um, but people in Europe and the US, um, well, people in Europe in particular can buy off the War Games vaults where I, mm. I sell my rules from there too. But I'm mostly, mostly it's for built, still built around my blog, which is um, which is interesting because blogs are kind of um, slightly beleaguered. They're, you can see that some of the traffic has dropped away from the, the you know the yeah. big big days of five or so years ago. But I still think that. It's just a, such an excellent way of. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, I don't know if you know Big Lee um, from. The I, I, that's what I saw his post um, yeah, a few days I, yeah. ago, and I got me thinking. I, I've been thinking the same thing, but stuff on Facebook is so sort of ephemeral; you can't find mm-hmm. it again. Whereas yeah. if you put it in a blog, you can go back and see, you know, stuff from six or eight years ago. Yeah. I can find things I've done before. Yeah, I, I I think that um, like a, a scenario post where you put in a map down and you put in orders of battle down for people to use as a guide later on in the future, that doesn't work anywhere else apart from a blog post because, no. as you say, people need to find it and then you need the space to give all that information so that people can then go back to it and use it. Because the, the number of times when I've gone... Oh, let's we're going to do Spanish Civil War this weekend. Oh, I remember that on Steve's Steve's Balligan's a brilliant one for Spanish Civil yeah. War. Go on yeah. there, find it, download it, play the game. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's where blogs really went out. So I still feel very, um, I still feel very wedded to wedded to blogs. Um, yeah. But um, well, let's have to see really where it goes. I, I wish they were a bit more better supported. I don't feel mm. that they're. they're Anyone that's put it in charge of running blogs at um, at Google is probably someone that's been sidelined from great promotion opportunities. That yeah, uh, they, pro- they probably there. probably got sacked when Google Plus ended, and uh, this is the oh, job Google that they've Plus. been sidelined. <laughs> Google Plus, that was a badly <laughs> conceived idea, wasn't it? That was so so yeah. so poor. Excellent. So yeah, blogs, blogs. I, I love, I do love a blog, and I, I still look at other people's. And... Excellent. Right. Well, we'll uh, draw a line under section one, and we're going to be back in a second for our big game chat. And we're back in the room, everyone. And uh, regular listeners will know that part two of the podcast. Is always about big games, um, and that's whether our guest is a big game or not. And um, we're actually all right this week because <laughs> uh, we, we are preaching to the converted here with, with Sonny. Yeah. Um, so, um, what does a big game 
mean to you? I guess you want a game that just makes people's jaw drop a little bit. You know, you look at it and you think, wow, you know, that does look like a battle. Or it looks a bit like um, um, that scene in uh, Spartacus where the yes. Romans are doing their confusing quasi-historical manoeuvres as they come down the hill. Um, uh, you know, just something that, that gives a bit of a, a sense of awe, you know, because it's got you know, two, three, four thousand figures, um, or it's got a fabulous bit of terrain, or it's got more elephants than you've ever seen on a table before, or, you know, whatever, really. You, you just want it to say something... Um, um, you just, just you want it to go to just think how did they you know what what happened at that battle how god how's this guy put this together uh why has he wasted all his life baiting those figures up <laughs> and all his money <laughs> oh, if only that question uh if only yeah. that question yeah what was your what was your first sort of encounter with a big game do you remember Ooh. Oh gosh! Um, well, I mean, as a as a kid, I grew up in um, in Portsmouth, Cosham, and just north of Portsmouth. And I don't think we ever really saw any big games. I don't re- remember ever seeing one. I was very jealous of the the guys at the grammar school. They had this war games club where they did these massive games, but I never saw one. Um, um, at uni, no one really had a lot of figures. Um, uh, we had a friend of mine after uni um, had a cellar in his um, house in somewhere in Hammersmith, and he used to have a, a what we thought was a huge table, but it was probably eight foot or ten foot by five or six, and we used to play some pretty big games on there, and that that actually did start to feel like playing uh, playing big games. I mean, the first I played a. Uh, I played a couple of games with Simon McDowell, who wrote uh, Comitatus, amongst other very good yeah. games. You know, he specialises in the, particularly in the late Romans, and uh, uh, has a fantastic collection of beautiful figures, beautiful fifteens, beautiful twenty eights. Mm. Um, um, played a couple of games with him that were really, really something to see. Um, and then. I guess the games you see at Salute, really. I guess games that you see at shows are where I've first come across, you know, really large games. Um, and, so, uh, some, some people I've spoken to have kind of a eureka moment um, walking into the War Games Holiday Centre or mine was walking into Northern Militaire and seeing a, one of the sods. You remember the sods doing the Napoleonic games? Um, that I'm seeing one of them, uh, like a, in my early teens, uh, and going, "Oh, mum, that's what I want to do." <laughs> yeah, the, it's. I never did the the War Games Holiday Centre thing um, until I met uh, Mark Freeth about six, five, six years ago, and um, um, I've still not done a, a, a Napoleonic um, game there. Um, but I did a, a series of um, weekends with him. Where we put yes, on yes. some of my my games um, um, up to, in fact, one weekend we actually ran four or five of four or five pretty big games on twelve by six tables um, and one huge game that was about twenty foot wide from my own collection. And it's possible to because I've got so many sort of 
periods, you know, like Roman armies have three or four different periods of Roman army um, and, you know, the opponents for them. I, I used to be able to do that. So we, but not, I, I do like it when, when you see down there, you, you've got a, a table that's like 30 feet wide and mm. everyone's playing on the same table. That's, that's a pretty cool thing. It doesn't happen quite so much with um, ancient battles because they tend to be, you don't tend to fill a whole room with them. I mean, we, we usually go up to about 20 feet, yeah. 20, 22 feet wide um, for some of the bigger battles. Um, but I, one of the things, um, one of the things I, I, one of the things I like about my rules um, is that they do actually scale. So it has dawned on me that you know, one could do, if one could get enough of the, enough figures together in the right sort of scale, one could actually do a game um, that was thirty, forty feet wide with maybe six or eight players aside. It's, it, you, have, you have these ginormous chessboards on the on the floor in city centres, don't you? So you, yeah. want, you want something like that, really. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to put any of my figures on a floor. Yeah, um, yeah. It, that could, could go horribly wrong. <laughs> you know, it could be some, some kid could run over and become horribly impaled on a hundred yeah. pike. You, know, yeah, you, have, you have to have pretty good um, public liability insurance. You, you would, you, wouldn't you? You, you would for that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess um, the big games that I would have seen were from, were, would have been originally at the War Game shows. Yeah. And then that kind of inspired me and I kind of got into doing my own uh, off that. Um, went through a phase where we, we'd ran a few games. Um, did a fantastic Zama game with mm. um, the lovely guys from um, Aventine in uh, Belfast and um, various other people from the UK each did everyone basically raised a Roman legion. So we had the four legions we needed mm. and um, some Carthaginians and um, some cavalry. And when we toted the whole thing up, we had enough to put on like a 15, 18 foot wide game that looks mm. quite like a proper battle. Um, that was a, that was a terrific fun game using command and colors. And then we did a later one uh, at um, Partizan. We did a Pidna game, which was much the same thing, except it was bigger and we had, five players aside and we had a huge hill uh, the whole table was a hill basically sloping up <laughs> sloping up um towards the roman positions higher up the hill with the, mm. the macedonian pike attacking uphill well that worked really well that was around about the time i launched the ancient rules some years ago now six yeah. six seven years ago so um, um mark mark freethu you mentioned uh, lovely guy he's he's mm. uh, he's been a guest on the show uh how did you get involved with mark uh, we ran into each other at, um, I think it was Newbury, where I was running a, I was running a game, and I think he he came over and was kind of engaged by the, the way that it was all moving really quickly. Yeah. Um, um, and um, we got chatting, and I arranged to drop in. I took a, took an army round to um, the when he was at the um, business park in um, near Basingstoke. Basingstoke, yeah. Um, and. Uh, I put on a game there and show him how that worked and uh, he bought into it and we ran four or five um, sort of weekends um, which were, were very popular, very successful. People really people really liked them. Um, the end of the, It started to get a little bit tricky for me though because the literally putting, I don't know, they were all had at least 2,000 figures on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you're running five games, that's at least 10,000. Possibly twelve, fourteen thousand 
war games figures um turns out to be about as much as you can you can put in a car <laughs> 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 i have a i, I have a car with uh, I, I always make a point of having a car where all the seats fold down yeah. but even so it was enough it was it you know re really useful boxes stacked to the roof of um the whole of the back of the car mm -hmm. um um reached really the upper limit of what i could transport because i've got yeah. a lot more figures now um these days i quite quite like a where there's a good plastic range and there are there are plastic ranges i like and ones i don't mm -hmm. uh, um uh, i quite like i'm quite taken with plastic figures certainly when you, you're lifting them up and putting them into your car you can see a massive advantage to it yeah <laughs> yeah, it is. yeah i mean it get it got quite industrial um i mean when i go to a show i need to take a, a trolley to unload the figures from the car yeah. to get them to get them into the table um and you have to start worrying about things like lift access curbs curbs mm. deadly deadly yeah. um, <laughs> um uh, you know, and how you're actually going to get the three, four thousand figures from the car to the into the place safely is is quite a, quite a concern sometimes. Um, so how do how do you store them normally then? So are they in individual boxes that stack, or how do, how yeah? Do so I've, I must have I don't know three, four hundred really useful boxes. I guess the best, um, the best. Yeah, the best in 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 all the sizes. Uh, all magnetically, uh, mag with like magnetic uh, um, base lining, and all the figures are, are magnetized. So it's possible to shift stuff around reasonably safely without too much damage to the figures. Uh, yeah, and that that's basically how I do it. The the only snag is, but I ran out of um, I ran out of space for storing figures a couple of years ago, yeah. and um, um, I. I Last year, I had my uh, got my cellar dug out, and you know, in fact, the year before last. Now, mm. last year, I've I've actually um, got it ready for using it as a figure storage space. Mm. Um, um, but I thought I'd give it a winter and just make sure it wasn't going to flood. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it seems to be okay. So I need to put a, need to fit that up with racking, and then I'll be able to move a lot of my figures um, out of the house into the cellar. I have, a, I have this great feature in, in my hallway. I've got a trap door in the hallway floor, so you, you can you can I can lift up the trap door and disappear. Oh, into, fantastic! Uh, uh, into what I what is the what I call real big red bat cave. Yeah, um, which is now runs below my hallway and kitchen. Super. Well, I've got to, I've got to ask. I thought, I've got to ask at the start. Where does the big red bat come from? Oh, right. So, um, at the Back in about 2004, I was playing a lot of Hordes of the Things. Brilliant mm. set of rules, really. My, possibly the favourite set of rules that I haven't written myself. Uh, <laughs> That's a high praise indeed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're marvellous set of rules, really well written, very clear. Um, and um, um, well, I was playing that, and it's a game that's played, uh, we were playing at the time on, um, uh, I think, a three, no, two foot square playing surface mm -hmm. using um, um, spaces that are about, no, it must've been three foot square, three foot square playing surface um, using uh, um, uh, 28 mil fantasy figures. And um, I, I was very into RuneQuest and people will recall, um, I'm sure some of you out there used to play RuneQuest and um, have heard tales of the Crimson Bat. Uh -huh. but, uh, the, the sort of secret weapon of the uh, 
the Lunar Empire that um, basically can eat whole armies and cities. Yeah, uh, uh, has um, three tongues that can pick people up from a range of two kilometers and has a has a, a temple on its back with its own priesthood uh, 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 and, and and some landing forces and everything like that so we're playing on these uh these three foot wide tables and i just thought it'd be really fun to make a model that was as wide as the table so i made a i've got a three foot wide bottle model of this crimson bat um on a six centimeter wide base oh, um um, uh, and um, if people go to, you probably find if you Google Big Red Bat um, or go to the Big Red Bat cave, there's a, a link on the right that will take you to it. Um, oh. I haven't had it on a table in a few years, um, but it's a lovely model and it is about three foot wide. Uh, I made it out of, um, completely sculpted it from, uh, made the wings out of um, wire with um, metal in between them and covered the whole thing in green stuff um, yeah. built models to go on the back of it and uh, the the there's a counterweight at the bottom uh, on in the base um which is a solid mass of lead that i made from melting down hundreds and hundreds of discarded war games figures um <laughs> that you know that were just two figures that weren't, weren't salvageable in any way shape or form uh, uh and that was i that's what and at the time that i posted I created my first accounts on anything. Um, I was called, uh, it, I just had to pick a name and I just thought, oh, Big Red Bat, you know, because that's oh, what right. I'm doing. And, um, and, and once you've started putting that name on a couple of things, you become known as that. And so, I don't know, maybe people think I'm an American baseball fan or, or something, but no. <laughs> No. Well, I'm glad we've cleared that up. I'm glad. Yeah, that I'm up. sure people have wondered. Uh, yes, I, I certainly did. I, I forgot to ask you in the first bit, but I, I constantly do that. Um, so, while we're talking about big games, then what's what's the appeal to you of doing a big game as opposed to a smaller game? Well, um, firstly, there's the visual spectacle, which is high up high up my list of things I, I kind of want to do. Um, secondly you can get a bunch of people playing together mm. uh, five, you know, three, four, five people to a side. Um, and um, so that's quite a nice communal activity. Um, and it's also interesting. Sometimes you see how one side is better organized. Uh, maybe there's someone that has some leadership skills yeah. that can carry that side through even against all odds. Mm. Um, um, either with a good plan or just inspired leadership. So that's that's a fascinating thing to see. Plus, I like the aspect of being able to model a big historical battle. Mm. Um, although it's not that itself isn't w without its risks, because of course people generally know how those battles turned out. So, you know, I sometimes wonder if Waterloo, for instance, is a battle that you can actually refine yeah. because so much is known about it. Um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because all the all the players know the pitfalls and know the mistakes that were made, and immediately set out to stop those mistakes happening. And therefore, inevitably, um, I think the French. Yeah. I think I've never I've not seen the official statistics, but I think French generally win um, recreations of Waterloo. And that would be that would be my impression as well. Um, mm. It's it's you know they are usually going to win because. 
I suppose it was Napoleon's to win on the day, and he didn't. But yeah. you know, he certainly wouldn't hang back. He wouldn't yeah. let the ground dry out if he knew that the Prussians were coming, for instance. Mm. Um, he'd have done and, something. And, and you, you, you know what's behind that crest. You're not yes. guessing because you know what you know what's there. And that is a problem with a lot of um, historical battles. Um, well, quite a few historical battles. Mm. You have to somehow force the players to act in a way that they probably wouldn't choose to based on the knowledge that they now have. Mm. But anyhow, I'd love a, I love the, just the visual impact of a, of a really big battle and the, the way it, there's a story to be told. And, you know, often um, one of the, it's quite nice, you know, like when, for instance, at the War Games Holiday Centre, we'd all end up in the bar that night yeah. telling our war stories of the day. <laughs> and I think one of, one of the things about the, the, the rules is that they are quite, um, they're quite narrative in the sense that things tend to happen a bit like you could, like you tell a story um, and, you know, a lot of dramatic and occasionally improbable things happen that, you know, you'd want to tell someone about in the bar that night. Um, you know, like when you charge the, you charge the, um, the with your iron sides, charge the uh, enemy uh, cavalry in the flank and missed with, all 10 of their to hit cards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> people, people, rather <laughs> like, yeah. there were no hits. <laughs> yeah. with all 10 cards. People like, uh, people quite like that sort of thing, even though they, they're cursing the fact that it didn't work out as they'd intended. They like to be able to tell the, 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 the war stories. Or, uh, yeah. I went, I ran a, <laughs> I ran a show. Uh, at a, um, you remember um, Lee? Um, we were talking about Lee. Yeah. Earlier. He brought yeah. his daughter to a show, and she was given a command on on one of the wings. Um, and she was she was must have been a teenager. And mm. She was up against three uh, three veteran war gamers. One of whom played a card and killed her general in the first five minutes of the oh, game, yeah. <laughs> which, which was. Just... <laughs> It was, it was, it was cruel. Actually, she 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 played like a trooper and and sort of shrugged it off. Uh, but it's quite nice to have those sort of stories. Uh, you yeah. know, the old one you one remembers one one did a certain battle. One's very pleased with something one did, or yeah. can't can't help but forget something that went disastrously. Remember something that went disastrously wrong. So I like that with big battles as well. Um, and that's one of the good things about the War Games Holiday Centre. I think you do, you do tend to get that ability to socialise a little bit afterwards is very nice. Yeah. Do you? Um, you we've talked about your Zama game. Um, yeah. What uh, What are some of your other favourite big games that you've run? Um, the Pidna game. Um, I, I liked Zama and Pidna mm. because they were both um, they were both very collaborative with mm. about four or five people um, on either side. Um, contributing forces um, and I haven't done that since really which, which which is a shame because it's such a good way of um, doing a game I, I've tended to just use my own sort of core collection and stuff mm. because you can't always be sure that someone else is going to be able to be there there is an element of risk when you're working with four or five people together yeah. because you know if you've got you need four Roman legions and you lose one the week before um, yes, you can't, you're, in a, you do. you're in a bit of a pickle. Whereas, if I if I'm unable to make it to a show, um, then there, there won't be a game at all. But yeah. you know, it would be a complete game if it if it happens, which is almost mm. certainly going to. So I really enjoyed that one, and um, uh, it was the last game I think I played in the old Callum Hall, which was a very atmospheric. Well, one of the last games I played there, 
very atmospheric place, um, which I have happy memories of. Uh, Raffia, uh, I've played that so many times with my, you know, the big pike phalanx. It's, it just looks great. Big pike phalanx and palm trees and um, Macedonian cavalry wedges charging forwards. Uh, and uh, It's just a really, really, really good game that I, I've played many times and will play again. There was another great game um, I did at uh, Cremona with the, the Roman Civil War battle at oh, right, yeah. the Partisan in the Park years ago. Yeah. And that was great because it looked for a while like Partisan wasn't going to happen. They managed to put up some tents and run it in the in the grounds and it was the best ever day. I mean, the best lighting, having come from the Stygian gloom that was Kellum Hall <laughs> out into this light tent with the natural daylight sort of shining down everywhere. It was just great. Such a, such a fabulous Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people have fond memories of Kellum Hall and then yeah. people remind them of the, the lighting in there. And uh... It was terrible. <laughs> If you look at there's a picture of the Pidna game on the uh, on the uh, uh, on my blog, and yeah. like ninety percent of the table is is pitch black, and <laughs> the the other ten percent is blinding. There's a blinding shaft of light that just illuminates this. It's like two foot square in the middle of the table, which is almost too bright to see. <laughs> that was Callum. That was Callum Hall for you. Yeah, that um, sounds all right. Um, so there's those ones. Um, and we, I mean, of the of the English Civil War games, um, um, the, my friend um, Andrew's got his ten mil. Um, he's done quite a lot of the big battles, like uh, Edgehill and um, uh, I think Newbury, one of the Newburys maybe, and um, um, uh, Marston Moor. His Marston Moor is his terrific game, mm. which is about 20, 18 foot wide, twenty foot wide, with ten mil figures, and that does look like a proper proper battle I mean it is terrific to look at um, I was thinking the other day it wouldn't be impossible to do it in 28 mil it probably only need a 30 foot long table which could could even be doable but the depth of the table is often the problem with the, the biggest games like that so you were saying I remember ooh, probably mid 90s I think somebody did master more at Sheffield triples um, at one to one at 6 mil um, wow. And that was pretty spectacular. I remember looking at that and, you know, a huge, uh, it's one thing some people do really well. My, the, the guest on my last show, Jerry, Jerry, yeah. Jerry Elliott from uh, former owner of the War Games Holiday Centre. He yeah. now, he now does um, units with the same footprint as the 28 mil units that he used to have, but he fills them with 10 mil figures. Yeah. So it gives such a spectacular, um, view of what an actual unit would look like so that's certainly one advantage one, one big advantage of those smaller scales um to be able to produce something that looks sometimes it's really hard to grasp how big those battles actually were um, um i did a um a one-to-one section of a 32 rank deep uh, pike phalanx um, um just for just for the sheer hell of it um um, there's some photos again on the blog, um, and it, it is just unbelievable how many men there were in those formations. Massive, um, absolutely massive. Yeah, you, you, uh, hard to, uh, you know, really hard to conceive how that that sense of how many people were involved, particularly in the ancient world where you know there were fewer people around. So um, I love love that um, aspect of the game. 
So that was Manchester. You often wonder in those pipe blocks, uh, if you were in the middle at the back, whether you'd ever actually see any warfare at all, because you'd just be surrounded by all these guys and all these pike. Yeah. Um, it'd be a bit of grunting and pushing at the front. As if I you guess if you're, if you're side one, you yeah. can well not see anything. Yeah. Um, uh, I think on the other end, if your side lost, you'd be, well, you, I suppose if you're at the back, you'd have a better chance of getting off the uh, battlefield than probably, most. Yeah, you probably have the least armour, so you'd be able to run quicker. Yeah, and I often think as well that um, if you had a pike phalanx, they, you've got all those 20-foot-long pikes mm. that if the guys at the back drop the pikes um it would be a bit like one of those pickup sticks games <laughs> there'd be literally you there'd be literally you, it wouldn't be possible to actually get back through mm. the, the 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 fallen weapons yeah nasty thought nasty thought um so there's that um then of course there's my uh there's my soggy bottom the big uh, 28 mil uh Named by Andrew Brentmore, who he has a great way with uh, names for games, um, which we ran at uh, the English Civil War game that we ran at a couple of shows, and that that was a really really lovely looking game. Um, mainly designed to use most of my English Civil War collection isn't like one where I did all the figures for one battle. It's basically I bought figures on eBay and rationalised them into units. Um, so I've got for some reason people love to paint. I've discovered people love, love to paint yellow and green-coated regiments yes. for the English Civil War, uh, and I've got way I've probably got more yellow-coated regiments than there were in the English Civil War, <laughs> um, and green coats. They're quite rare green coats, so I've definitely got more green-coated regiments. Uh, um, so the Soggy Bottom was a way of using all the figures we had available. Um, a lot of the characters, the names of the generals were drawn from the uh, the archers, right. Um, and the regiments, uh, often the regiments were named after archers' characters or, mm. or places uh, 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 featured in the series. And that was that's that's a very uh, enjoyable game. Uh, um, has been a lot of fun to run, and I'd like to run that again at some point actually, because uh, I could do it sort of bigger now. I've still been accumulating um, what I can occasionally find them on eBay now. Only occasionally, yeah, yeah. I, I, if I see a nicely painted figures, I will buy a regiment. And... You've cornered the market quite clearly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So just right. to finish off this section, then, yeah. um, big games have kind of drifted out of fashion a bit with, with a lot of the, uh, yeah. the manufacturers now, and um, a lot of the stuff. The whole reason that this podcast started was because I got sick of listening to other podcasts going, "Oh, you can't do that in twenty-eight mil, and oh, that's too big." Um, so, um, so if if you tr- if you had to give advice to somebody who was starting out in the hobby about getting into big games, what what would you kind of say to someone? Well, the best way of doing it is to assemble a group of people uh, on a joint project. Yeah. Um, because, uh, and which is something I'm ashamed to say, I haven't done very much recently. Um, um, but th- there's just so much fun in four or six of you working together on a project that's got to be delivered on a certain date, um, um, collaborating, sharing ideas, swapping things, sending stuff backwards and forwards. It's much more fun than just doing it by yourself. Yeah. Much more motivating, um, and uh, you know, you. Whereas it's difficult for one player to get 
3,000 figures together for a game. Uh, it's it, it, it's not that hard for six players to get 500 figures together. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, that's like when you were talking about, we were talking about the Bodkins earlier, yeah. the Cressy game. I mean, they're all great painters individually. And when they're all collaborating together, they can put it turns something into a spectacle, doesn't it? Amazing. Yeah, they can put something really, really, really great on. Whereas if they just had their individual army, it probably wouldn't look. It would just look yeah. like a, a small game. Um, so that's the way to do it. Yeah, you know, is to collaborate with other people and get something together. And uh, I would like to do that some more. Actually, maybe I'll try and think of some things I could do um, um, to do that. Good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Um, well, because um, I remember, I think it was. Uh, I think it was War Games Illustrated. I watched a video with you and um, they were kind of asking about the numbers of figures that were involved in a game. <laughs> I think you said a couple of thousand and quite clearly you could hear a pin drop. Uh, and I think, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, and then you had to kind of go, well, you could play it with 200, 250. <laughs> and I think they, they were they were expecting you to, you to say about 15 to 20, I think. <laughs> oh, bollocks. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Right, <laughs> right, I, 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 well, let's let's not let's not we're we're not we're not into the S word here skirmish. We're, yeah, we're talking exactly. about proper That's big, pro, proper yeah. big bag of battles. And yeah. I mean, you know, from in terms of playing playing one of mine, I mean, people hundred depends on the army really. Yeah. Um, you know, the um, hundred figures actually for some armies would be quite enough if a cavalry yeah. army. 60 or 80 possibly um uh, often i mean i love the uh, perry figures and, and victrix i suppose as well they you know they make some of these armies um very accessible very portable when i'm going to competitions um one of the criteria i i, I pick for picking my own army apart from picking one that will be lethal of course yeah. is to pick um one that is extremely portable um because it's quite hard to shift it around sometimes um um, um, so yeah, you don't need that many figures, but it helps, it helps, it definitely helps, and we definitely like it on this podcast. Yes, we're absolutely. very, very biased towards um, absolutely. I mean, they cast for <laughs> thousands, uh, and I have got a lot of figures around this house. If, if you're down in London, can't come by and I can show you the, the mighty mounds of uh really useful boxes that, that sounds absolutely fantastic well we'll take another break now um everyone and we'll be back in a minute with our favorite section the quiz and we're back ladies and gentlemen for the world famous yorkshire gamer quiz and um, the usual warning for everyone before we start this, that this is a bit of a laugh and a joke. Please don't get upset with some of the answers. Um, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> um, ooh. Ooh. Uh, and uh, this is not right or wrong. This is just a test of how Yorkshire gamer you are. And uh, if you've not heard it before, Simon, there is uh, some extreme regional bias in some of these questions. Um, so... <laughs> No, I haven't heard this before. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. Um, so all the answers are either going to be um, one word or a yes or a no answer. There's no okay. 15,000 word dissertations on the um, shield patterns of the Macedonian phalanxes or anything like that. It's all yes or no or very straightforward. Right. So um, we'll, we'll get going. And uh, the first one um, is uh, quite straightforward. It's go big or go home. Oh, go big. 
go big, of course, of course. Um, contrast paints, are they great or are they a gimmick? Pass. Um, I've not tried them yet, but I will. I will. You'll give them a go. You'll give them yeah, a go. I'd give them a go. Um, paint brushes. Um, would you go for Windsor and Newton or Yorkshire Made Pro Art? <laughs> um, I I use a lot of Windsor and Newtons, but um, I haven't used Pro Art. Um, um, Rosemary and Co. I think are my favourites. I'll give you half a point from that because Rosemary and Co. are from Yorkshire as well. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> there we go. Um, I don't think there'll be any controversy with this one. Um, 96 figures. Is that an army or a unit of pike? That is a unit of pike. That is a unit of pike. Of course. I don't know why Possibly anyone... Possibly a small unit of pike, but... Some, somebody said it's an army with support. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a unit... It's a unit of pike and a small one at that. Yeah. Um, so, um, a six by four table, is that a big game or a small game? Depends on the scale of the figures. Oh, you, 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 we're from Yorkshire, it's either yes or no. Small game. Small game. Uh, points based army or a historical order of battle? Historical order of battle but carefully costed out for points so we can see what the balance is like. Yeah, I like that answer. I like that. Um, when it comes to mixing paint, do you use one of these newfangled wet palettes or are you on an old bit of MDF? Uh, tiles. I, I use tiles. White, white tiles, clean them off every night, start again the next day. Excellent. Mix it all my paint on a, t on a tile. I'll do me, I'll do me. Um, if you were undercoating figures, would you go black or white? Oh, grey. Grey. Oh. Alfred's grey. Who, who could use anything else as a, <laughs> as a, a primer? I, I, You know, whoa, dear. Dear me. Dear, dear, dear. dear, 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 dear. dear, dear. I'll give you half a point because you're in between. Um, so you, you're offered a drink. Do you have Yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee? Oh, coffee in the mornings, tea, tea in the afternoon. Is it Yorkshire tea, though? Uh, it is Yorkshire tea, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, it is de definitively Yorkshire tea. See, look, here's uh, this is my evidence oh, here. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so um, we're halfway through. This is question 10. Um, war game units, if it's historically correct, do you like the figures tightly packed or socially distanced? I like them packed in as closely as you can conceivably pack them in. Oh, that's brilliant. That's what we're the highest possible density of figures. <laughs> Um, that the, the, the base will permit. Are we getting close to a black hole density? Is that what we're Yeah, at? yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, if it was possible to um, to, to have them actually literally... Wargames figures tend to be broader, slightly out of proportion in terms of their width, so it's hard to fit them on. Yeah. But um, almost invariably, like I like a 15 mil, 15 mil frontage for a 28 mil figure oh, is generally my, my like preference, like my strong preference. Can't stand the pipe block where it looks like you could drive a bus between the ranks. It, it oh yeah, absolutely. It doesn't absolutely. Doesn't it's wrong. 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 So many levels. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we've got some complaints already. Right. So, um, a two-hour club game or a weekend monster game? <sighs> weekend monster game. Of course. Um, we are now on to the uh, Nick Skinner honorary question. Uh, this is um, all related to Nick Skinner, so it's his fault. Um, 
Well, you're from London, so you might not get this one. Um, avocado, <laughs> avocado. Is it just posh mushy peas? <laughs> mushy peas are posher than avocado. Oh, I like that. I like that answer. They're posher because you can, you can get avocado any any day of the week, but a good mushy peas are hard to find. That, that's true, actually. That's very true. Yeah, I like mm. that. I like that. Um, the universal question now. There's no pressure on you here, Simon, but everyone has answered this in the same way um, since episode one. Um, so this is round dice, spherical dice. Um, are they allowed or banned on your table? <laughs> Definitely banned. Definitely, Definitely banned. banned. We are still firmly, firmly, unequivocally banned. Probably jumped up and down on as well. Hundred percent of that question. Hundred yeah. percent of that question. Um, so um, this is uh, the uh, David Marshall question. Do you know David from the DM train? You'll know his stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, so this is this is his question, and um, uh, we, we're kind of drifting off gaming a little bit, but it's a funny one. Um, you're going down the chip shop. Do you have haddock or cod? Cod. Cod. Good man. Good man. Right. Uh, for a rules writer, this will be a good one. Um, do you like a good table in a set of rules, like a casualty table or something along those lines? <sighs> No, actually, I don't really like a. I don't really like. Uh, there are there are tables in my rules, but I'm not a huge huge fan of them. Really, certainly not for where you have to look down one column and across the other and to see where it meets. No, yeah, no, 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 no worries. Um, question sixteen. Uh, I'm expecting. Uh, I know the answer to this one. Uh, Twenty eight mil is king. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah, yes. Of course, it is. Um, unpainted miniatures allowed on the table, yes or no? No, no, you're doing very I'd well. Be, I'd be producing a very disappointed look if someone <laughs> came up with those. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now, yeah. um, we're, we're back to the we've got a couple of regionally biased questions back to back now. Um, yeah, and um, there's no um, there's no uh, coincidence that I'm wearing a Bradford City top for this question. Um, so this question is Bradford City or Leeds United? Bradford City. Really? Clearly. Clearly. Clearly, of course. Um, and um, question 19, uh, Yorkshire or the other place over the hill? Yorkshire, definitely Yorkshire, yeah. Definitely. Can't even say it. I said it once. When I was uh, speaking to Simon Hall, who did Mortimer Glorian. Yeah. And he's from Burnley. And I accidentally said the L word once on the. Oh, <laughs> I lost I lost 100 viewers straight away. Um, so, <laughs> and then the final question, question 20, is uh, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil? Yes or no? Yes, probably they are. Oh, I think they are. Brilliant. Well, that's a, that's an excellent effort there, Simon. That's eighty-five percent. Oh, excellent! Eighty-five percent Yorkshire game. Excellent. Well, I think I should have got two points for grey because I covered both white and black. Uh, no, not I mean, a half point. I gave you half because you were being cheeky and you didn't answer the question properly. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but you you were you were, you were generally there or thereabouts. So there was only one. 
big X, and that was the table in the set of rules, which I still, <laughs> still enjoy. Well, thanks very much for that. And then um, yeah, we've, just got, we've just got another quick section before we move on to our big to- topic, and that's the Room 101, the Room 101 of Wargaming. Yes. Um, so uh, just for our listeners, if, if you're not aware, um, yeah. George Orwell, in his 1984 book, had a room of, of horror, um, and that was turned into a TV show uh, on the BBC. Yeah. And uh, the guests could put in to Room 101 something that was a pet hate of theirs. Um, so I call this the War Games tip. And um, if you've got something, Simon, you can present it to me. And well, how many how many viewers can you afford to shed at this point? Oh, well, I'm, I'm doing quite well at the moment. <laughs> ben, so we, still with us, in fact. <laughs> yeah, we, we've we've got a bit of a we've got a bit of slack. People tend to enjoy this section the most. So uh, okay. Um, I think they like the controversy. Um, so, um, have you got something that you fancy sticking in the in the tip? Yes, Ken. Yes. Go, go on. I would like to put in room one hundred and one. Yeah. Bases that look like ruddy great doorsteps. Oh, doorstep bases. Doorstep oh, bases, um, like especially this. especially the sabo bases that are about a quarter of an inch thick um, and tower above the table. Um, with troops that are on two centimetre round discs and consequently uh, about an inch apart from each other when you've got when you fit them into the holes on the bases. So they're form troops that look like skirmishers. Uh, I don't mind skirmishers that look like skirmishers. Yeah. Um, but no, really thick, blocky bases. Yeah. You know, I think a base should be sleek and yeah. low, low profile, um, hugging the hugging the table, part of the table, merging into the table, um, but a big, big square construction. So you, you, uh, you, you're kind of talking sports car bases. I'm talking sports car. We're talking, is it Lotuses? The, the really yeah. new ones yeah. that, that, you know, that just, just, yeah. And you're trying to get rid of kind of like your, your old boxy Volvos. Yeah, yeah. Well, or or taller, taller vehicles. I guess they'd be. We're talking about Land Rovers and uh, uh, Defenders and uh, things like that. Um, I just find uh, I just find the bases really distracting from the um, you know the aesthetic of the game. Um, um, I, you know, and it's difficult because I know people. If you've got figures that are mounted for skirmish gaming, you know, people have. Um, and we'll get used out to them. It's an oddity. They don't normally listen to this. Yeah. But, you know, that's absolutely fine. But they're, they're, when they're put on the sabots, it just doesn't look doesn't doesn't look uh, right to me. Sometimes you've got sabots where figures are kind of based for wargaming on the sabot. That's not quite as bad. But I like a, like a nice low, low base. Two mil. My bases are about two mil thick, and I can't get them any thinner, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, um, um, uh, you know, it's not really practical to go any any smaller than that, but I can. You know, that's good. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely um, a visual aesthetic that's lost when you have when you, you're kind of looking at a base that's a third the size of the figure. Yeah, yeah, especially with 28 mil. Sometimes it, it doesn't look too bad, especially if it's all nicely sculpted and you've got grass tufts and stuff trying breaking it up. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, you can spend a, put a lot of effort into a base. Mm. Uh, the other thing is unpainted. Uh, well, unpainted sabo bases are worse than a, the sabo base. So one of my friends puts a lot of figures into unpainted 
supper bases that are different colour to the bases of the figures that are in them and oh. the figures don't actually fit in the tray quite right oh. either so there's some of them are angles oh, oh disturbing, disturbing. Uh, so that's I guess I, I was thinking yeah, about I'm quite comfortable to stick that in the back of my trailer and, and take yeah. it up the tip on the, on on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. That sounds like that's a good. good. We we can save those figures. We can rebase them. Yeah, we can take them off those big ugly bases and put them onto sexy low profile bases. That's what. Hey, exactly. Well, thank you very much for that uh, entry into Room One Hundred and One in the quiz. A good effort there, and uh, we'll be back in the moment to talk about Simon's rules. Welcome to the main section of the interview, and we're going to talk to Simon about writing rules. I suppose the first question to ask Simon is, what uh, was the first rules that you wrote? How did you get into it? Well, I've always written rules, funnily enough. I, when I was a, uh, a kid, and I used to play, uh, had a local friend, um, we used to war game. I guess we were like 10, 12 years old, something like that. And as soon as there's two of you, you kind of need a set of rules. And I used to write the rules. I'm sure I used to win all the games as well. Uh, um, having written the rules, I'm sure I, the, that was the way it went. Um, uh, so we would do these big battles with the Lego bricks, trying to represent a big historical battle, um, later with figures in various scales. I just, really, since then, occasionally I've had sort of forays into into rule writing, but mostly, um, mostly, I guess I started around about 2000 and three 2004 um where i was getting a bit there was a period where i got a bit frustrated and i couldn't find a set of ancient rules i liked i just honestly genuinely didn't like the way a lot of the rules worked some of them were a bit vague and imprecise um which isn't isn't great and others just didn't give the right sort of feel for the battle or you know, sometimes they were too detailed they were too slow um some games didn't work very well with multiple players um, um, or you couldn't finish a game at a show because as I started taking my army, ever-increasing armies of figures to shows it started to become a bit of a problem that you bring all the figures there, set them all up, start a game, get about a third of the way into it and have to start packing them up again at the end, which is not good news for, for anyone um, so I started writing my, my own set of rules and I had a couple of goes at writing sets of rules which hadn't really come to anything um, I spent about a year writing um, um, the first draft of um, To the Strongest, where it, I was using uh, 2d6 um, to um, activate units. Um, and there was a bell curve, and it didn't work. Um, yeah. Once you start putting modifiers on, if you've got a bell curve, you can pretty quickly get into the extreme results on the end of the you know, high or low. It wasn't good. Um, um, and it was a bit frustrating. But after um, after about a year, one of, my, one of my other friends said, let's write a set of rules that we can use to run some um, team building exercises for um, business people. Um, well, that way we can make a little bit of money because I was out of work at the time um, and I needed some to generate some income to support, at least support my hobby. Um, and I thought that sounded like a good idea. And I just sort of sat down and within the space of about an hour, I'd kind of worked out all the mechanics. Um, it was remarkable um, um, because I decided, right, okay, this 2d6, that's no good. I'm going to ditch that. Let's use a d10. 
And then I thought, no, nah, D10, that gets cocked all the time. I'll just use a playing card. And then I thought, yeah. well, if I'm using a playing card, then I can activate a unit to move. And then I could activate to, to move again by putting a higher playing card on top of that first playing card. And then there has to be a mechanism for it all to end. And that's obviously when something goes wrong and someone fails. Yeah. Um, and then the idea came in of the generals being able to reactivate the unit that's failed if he's in the same box or have another go at getting that unit to move. And, uh, yeah, I say within about an hour, I remember saying to my mate, oh, I've kind of worked this out. Come around tomorrow and I'll, I'll explain to you how it worked. He looked a bit doubtful when he came around the next day, but it kind of, it kind of leapt fully formed um, from, uh, from uh, you know, in that, from that one evening. Um, and I remember saying to my wife, you know, I've been working on this set of rules for a year and you've been helping to support me. And, um, well, I'm actually going to tear them up and start again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really good decision because the rules before were were not good, and the uh, the rules that come out are, are fun. A lot of people play them and have a have a laugh with them. So, what 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 rules were you inspired by when you were younger? What sort of commercial? Uh, oh, I loved the WRGs play? back in the day, um, particularly um, I guess fifth edition roundabout back there. Um, DBA, terrific game. Hordes of yeah. things even better. Um, you know, uh, in what other game can you pitch an army of an accountant against an army, an army of cheese on crackers? Um, uh, you know, so a, an engagement I've, I've seen for. Um, um, brilliant. So imaginative. Yeah. I wish I was that imaginative. Um, I, I guess those are my favourite. Those have been my favourite. What, what was it in those sets of rules that drew you to them? What, what do you look for in a set of rules that isn't written by Simon Miller? Commanding Colours, um, mm. that's got... Um, you've got real... It's very easy to play. It's fast. There's a lot of um, unpredictability in it. You never know quite what hand... You can play the same game twice. Because you draw a different set of hand of cards... It becomes a completely different, a, a completely different game, um, and I think that's very much what I liked about um, Command and Colors. We, um, you know, that also there's a little bit, um, there's a little bit of, um, I guess, some of the things that carried across from that into into my rules. One of the things is the victory medals. They have like a victory medal system where mm. you can see how the battle's going by how many of these things you've got left. And I, yeah. I modelled something similar into my rules. And also, um, as you're coming up towards the end of the game, um, you know that you need to take the last three medals and you're looking at how what moves you can make to try and win before your enemy gets another turn and control yeah. and then he gets a, a go at winning, you know. You know, you need to take three medals this turn in order to win before he gets a go at you. So you get an exciting, dramatic end to the game um, very often. Um, so that's a very good thing from Command and Colours. I think from Hordes of the Things, um, just it's just my favourite set of rules like that. So imaginative. Um, I've long meant to write a set of fantasy rules. Um, and I, I just hope they'd be half as good as Horde of the Things. Do you know who? Do you remember who wrote those? Richard Bodley Scott. And they, that name rings. Yeah, I think they're based on um, the, the, the. It's like a fantasy version of DBA, right? Uh, yeah. Played on a, I think a three foot, if I remember, says me three foot square, 
uh, table, usually with 28 mil figures, um, like DBA, except obviously things can fly and um, hide, and uh, you get the um, the hordes of the title are um, um, when the horde, when you have a unit of hordes that's killed, you can bring it back on the table again the next turn. But there's this <laughs> endless series of these modern, these creatures mm. re- recycling and coming on the table, and yeah. you're um, it's quite conceivable for your sorcerer to um, fail, get, play a couple of ones on his pip dice and turn into a frog. It's, it's <laughs> just such a funny oh, set of yeah. rules to, to write. Um, it really is fun. And I went to a couple of tournaments um, back in the early thousands and really, really, really enjoyed that. In fact, I may have won one of the tournaments. I think the only tournament... The only time I've ever won a tournament, I think, was uh, was that. I've never won one with my own rules, <laughs> for sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, to the strongest came out in two thousand and is it six or seven years old now? To the strongest, yeah, something. I, I was trying to think. It must be about seven, something like seven years old, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm a slow rule writer. I will frankly admit, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the fastest, um, but they are quite, they're quite, they're well supported and we close yeah. down the gaps and there's been a lot of development in the rules since they came out. Quite a few mechanisms have changed along the way. Um, um, you know, the, the rule book has definitely some things, the current version of the rule book doesn't include some of the mechanisms that were in the one yeah. that was originally published. And we have a supplement that goes with it with extra rules. I suppose the thing um, that will be obvious to most people who look at it, from a new perspective will be the grid system mm. um and um how did that come into how did that you come to use that rather than the i'll use in inverted commas traditional uh tape measure um system i'd come before we actually wrote the set of ancient rules i had been playing a lot of um commanding colors so mm. it wasn't like i was i was familiar with the concept of using um, mm. um uh, a grid uh, but we had, um, I wasn't, we were trying at that time to play non-gridded games. And one night I had a horrific, uh, <laughs> I was playing against my, my best mate. We got on terrifically. But this yeah. particular night, for some reason, I guess we both were a bit stressed from work or something like that. We were playing with a set of rules that I won't name. Um, mm. But there's a lot of imprecision in the writing of the rules. Like, hang you know, what happens if there's a flank attack and how do you line units up and things like that. Mm. Um, we got into a terrific uh, uh, row um, during during the course of play about whether I'd moved something too far or not, <laughs> which I hadn't. I hasten yeah. to that. I uh, yeah, yeah. let's get that straight now. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you get these swings in, in normal, yeah. most sets of rules. There's, there's a thing like, you know, buttocks of death in DBA where you try and, I think, you, or was it the W, one of the RG, where you basically put a unit slightly behind another enemy unit, but it's back towards it, and that stops the other unit retreating. And Right. Um, yeah. It was, you were always trying to do this with your units. And I just thought, you know, God, life is just too short to be having these sort of, <laughs> these sort of arguments. And the measurement, it takes so long. You know, and I did debate about, about the room 101 thing um whether mm. to put in those little precision measuring sticks um that are made yeah. of, you know the machined and accurate to, to 10 decimal places and I, uh, you know 
life is just too too short for that, you know. And really, I, I always think when I'm writing a game, I want a game that can be played in less than two hours on a six by four table in a room over a pub when you're a bit tired and you've had a few pints of beer. I mean, yeah. that you know, if the game can be played on that basis, then I, I think it's a pretty valid game. Mm. Um, and certainly by skipping um, measurement, that takes a lot of time out of the game. Um, uh, funnily enough, not having dice takes a fair bit of time out of the game um, as well. Um, you know, we can play a... When we do a tournament, um, we usually put... Um, we usually plan to play four games during a day. Now, they won't. Not all of those four games will necessarily be completed, but usually, two of them will come to a a, a, a decisive victory or defeat, and two of them will be close, or one or two will be close. You know, the better players will always fin- finish their four games during a day. Um, pretty much, they'll have won all four, what all four games, and. Um, so that's kind of where we are, really. And the game has actually got faster as we've gone along. Um, originally, I had a very boring mechanism in for uh, commands running away when they'd lost two-thirds of their units. And mm. We replaced that with a, a morale system where units can get swept away in routes. That that shortened the game. Um, um, playing cards turned out to be a really fast way of, of playing. You know, you, people... People are just chucking the cards down on the table. You can see the results. Everyone can see it. Even people like five or six feet away can see what's going on. You can see the pip on the dice, um, which is good for shows because, you know, you can see when the guy on the left wing, 15 feet away, lets out an ear-piercing scream. And you realise that's because his, his general <laughs> has just played the second ace of the turn and failed to activate and he's missed his whole turn. Um, then... Uh, you know, you, you can see that right the way down the other end of the table, what's going wrong. They're, they're good. So it's a fast game. I, I wanted to write a fast game. Um, and with the grids and the playing cards, um, it's fast. The, I put a lot of luck into it too. Uh, part of my original rationale was that the guy, when before I knew it was going to be a proper published game, the guy, my, my local friend who I was playing um, is very, very clever and very good at calculating probabilities. So right. I made it as improbable as possible. Um, he couldn't do that to me so there's wild swings of fortune wild swings of fortune uh, in the game you know although most of the time um a good player most of the time the best player wins Mm. uh sometimes he's not going to it's just you can't always you can't always win when uh, when the rules came out, did you find because um, wargamers um, a bit like Yorkshire folk, they don't like new stuff, they don't like change. Um, did you have a bit of resistance to to the grid? Um, yeah, I, and, and frankly, why not? I mean, of course, <laughs> of course, they do. I mean, I, I was I, I I was saying to someone the other day that I mean, grids are the worst possible system in wargaming. Yeah, apart from all the others. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, who wants to play a grid? <laughs> I don't. No, no. I mean, grids, grids are fine. They, they, they're, um, they, they have, they, they have their strong um, pluses. They have their minuses as well. But on the whole, the ability to, to, to play a game in two hours whilst drinking half a bottle of a reasonable French wine. Yeah. Um, and. Um, not frying too many brain cells uh, mm. 
um, is is the the advantage. Um, disadvantages, aesthetics. Originally, we used to use um, squares with the solid line along them. Yeah. Um, but we've kind of gone away from that now. We use small crosses at the ends of the square. So often, people at shows don't even realise we're playing on a grid, um, which helps because the the aesthetics are really important to me. You know, the, I like the figures to look good. I like the terrain to look good. Um, I don't want it to look like it's on a chessboard. It's not. Not. It it certainly seems to have been something that's been more widely accepted as time has gone by. Yeah. Um, because you know, people who make war games mats and and tablecloths etc. would not be producing gridded cloths if oh. if it wasn't working in some way. No, and I mean, I you know, I've sold a lot of them. Um, over the last few years, so you know, I know a lot of people have, have bought into the have bought into the concept. Um, um, you, know, I, you know, a lot of people play it. It's it's, it's popular. Um, uh, it's just the the thing about it is it just it, it just makes it so easy to play a, um, a, a a game quickly, and you can then concentrate on the fun bits of the game. You know, yeah. like ridiculing your opponent when he plays an ace. <laughs> The important strategic uh, elements of laughing at your opponent when something goes terribly wrong. You know, you can really focus on those. One thing that actually turned out to be an unexpected blessing was um, during the recent lamentable uh, epidemic, Yeah. Um, it turned out that grid-based games are really good for playing online over the computer. And we, yes, yeah, yeah. we ran a number of very successful tournaments um, um, where um, quite often we'd have a couple of us playing and as many as eight or ten people just coming in to watch, just sitting mm. on the sitting on the thing, watching the uh, watching what was going on, picking up a few tips for their next game, and occasionally butting in to tell me when I was getting my own rules wrong, which happened more often than you might expect. Um, uh, but we had a lot of fun during the the the, uh, the games and when we played it during the pandemic. Actually, my game improved because I played a lot more than I usually do because I hardly ever play around here. But when I'm playing once a week online. Um, um, I actually yeah. got quite good again. Um, yeah. So your um, how long did it take then from from that that eureka day where it all seemed to come out to, to oh, getting them six produced? months six well, months that's, that's maybe quick. till we had the um, till we had the uh, first PDF version of it come out. Hmm. I, I published that. Waited a couple of months for any any obvious mistakes to, to drop out or anything that people couldn't understand. To, I wanted to explain better, um, and then we we ran the. Uh, I printed a rule book. It's all been quite a crash course, really. You know, you need to learn how to need to learn how to write and structure a set of rules, which mm. is it, it's quite a complex thing. Yeah. It's it's not not trivial, um, and um, how to produce a PDF version of a set of rules, um, um, and then how to um, go from there to writing a book. Well, I was very lucky. A friend of mine, uh, Millsy in Australia, um, Michael mm. Mills, um, turns out to be a brilliant, uh, brilliant user of InDesign, and he helped wow. me get my first book uh, published. Yeah. Um, and uh, he did the second one as well. Um, uh, and how to run a set up an online shop and mm. fulfil digital orders and do accounts and a bit of marketing. It's been quite a learning curve. And um, did you do? Sort of extensive playtesting prior to release. Um, we did do extensive playtesting of everything except for medieval. 
period where we played. We did the Battle of Agincourt twice. Excellent, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Skill. No, I mean it's it basically um, it would the medieval thing turned out to work quite well anyhow because it's it's pretty much the the rules really as they stand go up to about fifteen hundred. So when everything is kind of man powered, it kind of works a little bit. I mean, you know, you're getting better armor towards the end of the period. Mm. Um, It's when you start getting uh, arquebus and and cannon that can kind of discount armor that um, it all changes a little bit. And that's really when you need a new, a new period of rules. Um, Mm. uh, But they work very well for, um, they work very well for medieval. I played a lot of medieval, uh, I, I quite like the medieval armies for tournaments because they don't have too many figures, and the parry figures are really great. So I can, mm. I can have a. Um, I use. I've often used Milanese or Venetian knights at tournaments. Um, um, myself, it's my the army I've played most. Uh, so um, I, I recommend um, we're we're running a little bit short on time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. For going into a lot of detail about exactly how the rules work, yeah. um, but um, I recommend people just blob online. If you put to the strongest um, playthrough or something like that on YouTube, there's a couple of really good um, instructional videos on there that I watched last night. Yes, uh, but right, I, I I kind of I could quite confidently sit down and um, and have a have a game now. Well, that's good. The question um, that kind of drops out of that um, is: is how do you go about reflecting the difference between troop types and units and tactics over such a wide span of history um, within the mechanics of the game? Okay, well, um, we have got. I guess going back to what we were saying, uh, we a lot of stuff remains fairly common. Um, throughout history, until you get to this, um, until you get to the introduction of gunpowder, the extension of it. So, you know, a unit of skirmishers is kind of a unit of skirmishers. Um, um, a unit of heavy infantry is kind of a unit of heavy infantry. Where there's a particular troop type, like a Roman legionary, that had a particular mm. way of fighting, um, we can put in special rules for those. There's a special mm. legionary troop type. We put in. Um, there are a few unusual troop types, like um, we came up with a a, a, a a unit called the Quincunx, which we used to model the Polybian Romans. Um, and that's effectively um, three lines of Romans in one unit, one war games unit. It's what we call a deep unit. Um, mm. And it has, um, it can do line exchanges, but within itself to kind of rally, yeah. its, rally itself. Um, but it works... Um, you know, we have a, a pikeman in a Macedonian pikeman. It's not hugely different to a Low Countries pikeman of the you know the fourteenth, fifteenth century. Um, uh, the Macedonians might be a better, bit better trained or better armoured, um, mm. or not. Um, so it does kind of work throughout, with the addition of special rules for some troop types. Yeah, because I think I think I think I watched a hundred years war game that had Lance involved, yes. and that had a, that had a I think it was a plus one or something like that. The Lance um, usually gives you an extra to hit card. That was it. Um, yeah. And the extra to hit card is uh, is really really powerful because it means that you can actually kill a unit. I should say that one of the things about the rules is they are extremely bloody. Um, mm. 
you know, units of skirmishers have one hit, and if they lose their, if they hit and they fail to save, then they're dead. You know, units yeah. die in sometimes in the first, you know, twenty seconds of play. You know, <laughs> units can be dead. It does. You know, you you are straight into the game. It's no, there's no hanging around. If you've got a favourite unit, you need to keep it at the back to start with, anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> favourite unit, don't bring it. Um, <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna die. Don't be, don't be too too attached to it. Um, um, it it's a fast, uh, it's a fast and, and and bloody system where most units have two hits, and if you're hit twice, if you're charged by a unit of knights with a lance, and the knight hits with both its to hit cards and you fail both your saves, then your unit is dead. Not only is your unit dead, but the general that's with the unit might be dead, and the units to either side of it might fail their morale tests. And mm. in some cases, they might be off as well. Um, you know, I had a game once where I was playing against a guy for in a tournament for about an hour and 40 minutes, and I'd slowly whittled his army down, knocking a hit here, a hit there, but nothing really happened until I managed to kill one unit in the middle of the line, and then all the other units failed in a cascade there was a cascade of morale failures and the whole army ran away it was i i was probably a little bit triumphalist which was poor form i found it hard to, to restrain myself but trust me um you know we can teach you know we have our children as young as nine or ten can learn the basic mechanics playing a game at a table and you know the um if you once you've played three or four games of it, then you you generally are going to know what's going on. But there's still loads of room. The nice thing is there's still loads of room to improve. You know the best players, um, the best players will win most of their games because they yeah. they've really practiced a lot and thought about the tactics and yeah. picked an optimum army. And um, you know there is room to become really really good at it and stay really good at it. So what when you were writing, were you thinking about? Um, a balance between playability for those who want to do historical recreations and and those who wanted to do a competition game. Yeah, um, I've, I made the decision fairly early on to do it as a to, to support competition games um, as well. Partly, I suppose, I come from a WRG background. And there was there were always going to be points costs because I wanted to have a rough idea about how the balance of two armies was going into a big game at a show. Um, it wasn't revelation actually playing in the first um, tournaments because I thought I'd written a fairly tight set of rules until I met the war gamers at uh, Chalgrove, <laughs> um, which became our annual tournament. And they rode a coach and horses through the rules in the first year. So yeah. I went away and I plugged all the gaps and I came back for the second year and they rode the coach and horses a different way through the rules. Oh, no. um, uh, and But gradually they've become pretty tight and closed down and I think pretty balanced uh, now. And do you have somebody who helps with the um, with the army lists? Because obviously it's a huge period of history to... to yeah, um, I do. I have lots of people help me with the army lists. So um, we've got um, about 270, 280 army lists written wow. now, um, mm. covering almost any army that you can think of. Some of the more obscure lists aren't yet written, but I'm gradually getting round to the Knights of St. John in Rhodes. And the, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, the, I haven't done any of the uh, uh, Central American lists, the Aztecs and Incas and things like that mm. yet. Um, but most, the vast majority of the lists are written. And 
Um, I try and write. I publish. I've got two books. Um, there's the ancient book and the medieval book. Mm. Um, and every three months, I publish an updated version of the rule of, of the army lists yeah. for everyone that's previously bought them because they cost nine ninety nine a book. But yeah. for your nine ninety nine, effectively, three months later, you get three or four or five or six yeah. or eight even sometimes new army lists. And I'm writing. They're big. They're these are big uh, publications. You know, hundred and fifty thousand words. There, um, there's a lot of background material on the armies and the history of the, the people involved. Sometimes the military history of the people. And, um, I'm constantly adding to those. In fact, I've spent about, I guess, a good portion of my time over the last eighteen months has been on writing the army lists. Mm. I'm kind of over the top with that now. It's it's sort of a bit downhill from here because most of them are, are written. Um, we're still refining some of them. Um, and publishing, there's still a few, few that I haven't done, um, um, but I'm getting those gaps closed uh, yeah. fairly fast now. And then, um, so that is taking less of my time up. Uh, mm. But it has been a big burden over the last year getting these things, mm. these things done. Uh, so um, I'm co- conscious we've only got a few minutes left. So uh, oh, yes. Um, how how did the rules, or what's the big differences between? To the strongest and King and Parliament. Uh, if one had played Andrew Brendel, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the main difference is um, okay for the ancient rules. Guy, their troops are generally heavy infantry or yeah. a missile, fire a missile weapon. In for King and Parliament, uh, everyone has a missile weapon. Uh, every unit. If you're a unit of um, a battalion of pike and shot, you've got muskets. If you're cavalry, you've got pistols. Uh, if you're artillery, you've got guns. Everyone has a, a ranged missile weapon. And we, we made a slightly more complex um, series of... Um, when you shoot in for King of Parliament, the enemy shoot back at you. There's an exchange right. of fire. Yeah. Whereas when you shoot into the strongest, they don't shoot back. Right. Um, um, there, there are a few things that are different. Uh, pursuit rules for cavalry. Your cavalry are most likely to kill their opponents and ride off the table um, mm. in for King of Parliament. Um um, there's a lot more shooting, less melee um, than in yeah. the than, than in the ancient set. But anyone that plays the two will recognise 80-90% of the mechanisms are going to be familiar. And indeed, I'm working on Renaissance at the moment, um, and um, that's kind of got that's going to be very familiar to anyone that's played either set as well. Um, yeah, I was uh, going to say you kind of, you've kind of done the first bit to the end of the medieval and then jumped to English Civil War and yeah. now you're coming back to the Renaissance. Yeah, and the Renaissance set, basic, will pub, the Renaissance set will go up to about 1600 and then after 1600 there'll be another set um, that will probably cover it'll probably go from about 1600 to 1700 um, the, the Renaissance rules are fairly well advanced, I just haven't had time to finish them and publish them, mm-hmm. um, but they are written largely um, the other set aren't written, might well be based on for King and Parliament. I've been having a few chats with Andrew this last week. Mm. We've been getting very excited about the uh, Battle of um, Lutzen and Swedes and imperialists. Yeah. Also chat with David Imry, who's painting and basing some um, very nice imperialist figures at mm. the moment. Um, so we might well go with something that's a bit more for King and Parliament based for that mm. period. And how do you, how how far how far do you think the the mechanism would would go. I mean, Seven Years' War springs to mind straight away with the linear tactics. How that uh, 
Uh, World War Two would work. Yeah, definitely. I had a go at scoping out World War Two uh, about a year ago, and mm. I I realised it would definitely work. It's just I realised that if I if I did it, uh, I I just didn't have the, the the space, the free time to actually do it whilst writing the the other yeah. systems as well. So um, I put that on a back burner. But my intention is to do my intention certainly is to do the sixteenth um, and the seventeenth centuries. Um, I know Andrew's quite interested in doing the War of the Spanish Succession and the War of the Austrian Succession, so that mm. might well happen uh, afterwards. And I guess I would like to very much to do a fantasy set um, yeah. at some point because I just think it would be, it's a very good way of engaging um, particularly younger people who would do the fantasy version and then hopefully get into the historical stuff. it's a a nice crossover point isn't it yeah we need to bring new people into the hobby as well and that would be a good way of a good way of doing it um but who knows what where i'll get but certainly the renaissance are are quite advanced i just need to uh just need to get them finished you're nearly there nearly there see see the finish line you can see the finish line i can (laughs) you know i've got they've got a lot of the figures painted now so i need to need some get some rules out so i can play some games with them Exactly. Exactly. I'll bring I'll bring my Italian walls down, and we can we can have. Oh, absolutely! I'll have, <laughs> have a few of my own. I've still got to finish that Swiss army off. That's got over six hundred figures in it, um, and they're most they're all painted and mostly based. I just need to. Just need to. Um, well, <laughs> well, we're coming to the end, and we, we didn't really get a chance to speak about your wavy bases. Um, oh, my wobbly edge bases! Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 you always have me back for a yeah. Well, well um, we do, we do, um, we do catch up episodes every every ten episodes. We do a catch up, and we get people on right. For 20 minutes, half an hour, so we could we could cover wavy bases. Covering the aesthetics of basing and the the need for chamfering. Chamfer the edges, it's most important. That's a proper engineering term, chamfer. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that word. I do like that word. Very um, so if people want to get hold of uh, the rule books, do you have scenario? We've got a lot of scenarios for the English Civil War. Um, mm. I think I've only published one scenario for the ancients. I have talked about publishing more. It's yeah. just a question of time. Um Probably at the the way it's going at the moment, we're probably more likely to get some more English Civil War ones published. I'm working with some lovely guys who are looking at a load of um, um, battles around the Celtic fringe: Montrose, uh, Ireland, yeah. um, Scotland, obviously. Um, and it's quite likely that we'll be producing those over the next couple of years, um, which will go with the for King and Parliament, the English Civil War stuff. But I really ought to. I have lots of scenarios written for ancient battles. I just haven't published them, and it would be a really good idea for me to do that. But they're now huge battles with thousands and thousands, well, dozens and dozens of units, so they're not necessarily for the faint-hearted. Well, that's what we want. Maybe you could have, like, a health warning on the front of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't open this book unless you've got at least a 1,000 figures. Yes. (laughs) So where where would people go to uh, get hold of copies, Simon? Um, If you just Google Big Red Bat Shop, um, that will take you into my shop where I sell everything I sell. Um, so the rules, um, scenarios for the English Civil War, I sell the bases that people like to use sometimes. Um, very importantly, I sell the gridded cloths. If anyone wants a gridded cloth, I, I import those from um, uh, Deep Cut in Lithuania. And uh, I also sell some of the Geek Villain 
um, UK made ones. Yeah. Um, um, and, and I sell a lot of um, other gaming products, gaming products. I released some new uh, colored chits today. Some people don't like using the playing cards. They use chits from a draw bag. And uh, so I sell those in all sorts of different bright colors um, yeah. um, and chits for recording damage or whatever on your units and mm. various other things. There's a lot, a lot of stuff in the shop. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's, been, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you today, Simon. Thank you very much for your time. It's been lovely being here. Thank you. And if you'd just like to say good night to everyone. Good night, everyone. Thank you very much. Uh, good night. Well, another cracking interview there with Simon Miller. Really enjoyed that one, and I hope you did too. A few sound effect problems as always, but uh, I hope that didn't spoil your enjoyment. And uh, the next episode, episode 23, is going to be one of our catch-up episodes. So, uh, slightly different format to normal. There's going to be four, three, four, five, maybe, um, short interviews, 20 minutes, half an hour. And we're just going to be catching up with people who've been on the show before. um, so I'm hoping to uh, speaking to Simon Hall um, uh, about his uh, his latest ventures. He's got a new rule set out, and uh, he's working on a board game of Rome Total War. Uh, and I don't think there's many people who've war game that haven't played that game on a computer. So that's going to be quite exciting speaking to Simon about that. Uh, Dr. Chris Brown from way back in episode three. Unfortunately, he had to cancel his Arnhem um, game weekend um, just after we spoken to him due to COVID and uh, he's hoping to be back this year fingers crossed in Arnhem fighting, uh, recreating um, Arnhem type games in a hotel that is actually in the pictures of the Arnhem battles uh, so uh, hopefully we'll have a quick catch up with Chris see how he's getting on with that and um, Mark Freeth as well I hope to be speaking to him uh, just about the War Games Holiday Centre um, that's now open up and running and I hope to be uh, visiting myself uh, for some bit of Italian Wars uh, later on in the year so uh, couple of potential other guests uh, maybe we'll see how we get on um, but there'll be lots to listen to uh, in that episode that will be out in the second uh, week in April and uh, it's a five week month so we're going to have two episodes next month and uh, I've lined up uh, fingers crossed um, quite a big manufacturer who I don't think has done many big po- many podcasts in the past so that's going to be a good one uh, so looking forward to that and uh, we're We've got stuff booked up uh, into the future now, um, looking at my next free episode, probably in July, would you believe? Um, just things slot together very quickly, sometimes without me even realising. Um, before I know it, I've got another three months booked in. Um, and to all those guests who I've spoken to about coming on, I will get round to you. I do I do promise, um, but the, the the less uh, shorter number of episodes that we're doing with this new format means that um, I don't get round to everyone as quickly. But I do stay very enthusiastic, and I'm wanting to do more episodes um, rather than 
it was a little bit of a chore trying to do two a month. Uh, I'd rather have it this way. So uh, please be patient and uh, we'll get round to everyone eventually. Cos, we ain't going anywhere. So until next time, see you.